0: Images like, you know, frames like this, this use of the, the lens as the mirror and all of these mirror scenes that recur through the film, setting up that, that, that frame and letting, having the actors look into the lens as themselves and looking off the lens at the, as the reflection of the other woman standing next to her. But I knew it needed that kind of strong framing element that would make you go, okay, not everything is going to be on the surface here.
1: Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode a married couple buckles under the pressure when an actress arrives to research their infamous past in director Todd Haynes' drama, May-December. The film follows Gracie and Joe, a married couple who two decades prior were the subject of a scandalous tabloid romance. When an actress visits their home to research Gracie for a movie role, uncomfortable details from the scandal emerge, causing long dormant emotions to resurface. In addition to May-December, Haynes' credits include the feature films Dark Waters, Safe, Velvet Goldmine, Far From Heaven, I'm Not There, and Carol, an episode of the television series Enlightened, and the miniseries Mildred Pierce. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theatre in Los Angeles, Haynes spoke with director Greg Araki about filming May-December. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation.
2: They said that I should introduce Todd, but um, I think he needs no introduction.
0: I can't
2: that it's you. Here, <laughs> that we're here you we that. haven't done a like, Q&A together. Have you ever seen that thing? It's on YouTube. I, was, I had a screening recently at UCLA, and one of the students is like, look at this. YouTube clip, and it's us, the two of us, we're doing an interview together at Sundance, 1995, and it's from that Michael Almereta movie, remember he did that weird documentary with the pixel camera? And we are babies. <laughs> we look like ba- so babies. Yeah, we look like babies. In, in, and it's like, I think you were there with Safe, I think, 1995, right? And I was yeah, there with Doom yeah. Generation. Yeah. But we did our interview together, and it's the just... It, I'm, that's why I'm so thrilled when I got asked to do this. I said, oh, my God, I would love to do it. It's such an honor. So Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, let's talk about this fantastic movie. APPLAUSE um, I would, you know, it's like, I know you've been talking about this movie so much. Uh, you've been doing so many interviews, and such a, you're such a good, you know, loyal director for your, for your project. You don't have kids, right? Yeah, because I, no, I don't either, and it's just like, um, I've talked about how my movies are like my kids in a way. You know what I mean? So you really... You gotta give all, give your all for your mo- your kids. So I think, and you
0: also have to let them go.
2: Yeah, yeah, you gotta let them go too. You gotta let them go, and it's just and have their and people own, and are like, have their own way. People are always like, "What's your favorite movie of yours?" And it's like, right. they're all my favorites. they I love them all. Um, right. But right. you have been working, you've been working so hard for this movie and doing so many interviews, and I do. In case people here aren't aware of it, I wanted for you to talk a little bit about how this the genesis of this movie, how it came to be, how it's a little bit different than some of your other movies, because like myself, sometimes you write and direct something completely original, it's your own thing. Sometimes a script comes to you and it's in a different so if you can talk about the difference of those two kinds of projects and how this particular project came to you? Sure.
0: Um yeah, this one this came to me through Natalie Portman. Um she she had there we've been sort of talking and hoping that there's some would be something someday that would that we could do together. Um and this script came to me at the height of COVID 2020. Everything was shut down in our world. She was in Australia where everything was like fully operative with all their <laughs> great protocols and all their intelligence. Um and and I read this script by Sammy Birch, who's this um, extraordinary. I mean, you look at Sammy and you think she's twenty five, or you know, she's thirty six, but she's such a she's so brilliant, and she's got such an original voice, and she and the script was full of anxiety and discomfort, and. <laughs> You know, and it and your specialty. My <laughs> our specialty. And and it but it but it trusted the reader. It let the reader navigate without without overly directing what to think and where to go. And and so you're you're kind of confronting your own projections, expectations, moral moorings around this very loaded and disturbing story and complicated story. And, of course, these were exactly the things that excited Natalie about the script. And and talking to Natalie made me think of another insanely brilliant, gifted person who I actually know very well and have worked with my entire career. And here was this second female lead (laughs) sitting
2: right there. Do you Uh, think that Natalie had that in mind when she gave it to you? You know,
0: it's so funny. It's come up in... Q and A's and I mean she's a good actor so she could certainly have been all like (laughs) do you think she Julie really do you think she'd do it you know I slipped it to Julianne I slipped it to Julianne before I even mentioned it to Natalie I wanted to feel out I wanted Julianne to safely be able to say no it's not you know it is or isn't something she was interested in she was very interested and I told Natalie, and she was like, oh my god, you think she'll, do-? I asked, I said, what do you think about Julianne for Gracie? And she said, do you think she'd do it? And I said, I think she might do it. <laughs> uh, so that's where it started, that's the, that was the groundwork. We didn't know when. This was a long time, this was years ago, and we were all doing other things and, and following other, you know, commitments. And then as things happen in our crazy careers and stuff, um something I was developing, and it didn't happen last year, or fairly spring of last year. I think we found out it wasn't going to happen. And, um, and all of a sudden, I was like, shit, maybe. I wonder if there's a way to do May, December. And, um, and we looked at the fall. We realized Julianne and Natalie both had the fall, few weeks free in the fall. And, um, and so, but, but the challenge was that the script was originally set in Camden, Maine. It had to be set in May, because it's graduation month. You know, you're counting the minutes to when those kids are going to (laughs) leave this couple alone in that house to really confront each other alongside all the, in addition to all the stuff that uh, Elizabeth Barry, the character Natalie plays, brings into it. Um, And so we, but we knew we couldn't shoot in Camden, Maine or anywhere on the East Coast in uh, the late fall, for spring. And so I had just been in Savannah at the Savannah Film Festival. And I started to think, wow, Savannah, Savannah, wow, that would be curious, interesting, layered, and complicated. And, and Sam Lysenko is the production designer on May, December. And he and I had just set up this, had built this other project together. And we we're so excited about working together. And I said, Sam, that's over. <laughs> Let's get on our dancing shoes and go to Savannah. And we went in August of last year, you know, sweltering heat, and started to sniff around. And, and we had already sort of thought, OK, Gracie wouldn't live in downtown historic Savannah if we shot it in Savannah. She, but she'd live maybe, there was this beach community, Tybee Island, about 20 minutes outside of downtown Savannah. I was like, that's interesting. That, that's, that's curious. Kind It's of sort of a middle class beach community, not a hoity-toity area and uh, we went there and and started to look and smell and sniff and and we literally went off the beaten path of the Savannah Film Society telling a uh, Film Commission telling us where to look for houses and we found that street and we found that house and we stuck a little note card on the door of the house and said you got we're in town would you consider you know let us come see your house the guy called back that night. We saw it the next day. All those things. Did you leave a
2: picture of Natalie Portman <laughs> and Julianne Moore?
0: <laughs> Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman, and Charles Melton, age 14. Um, no. Uh, but, yeah, it was just the, the serendipity, the unexpectedness of, of making it, and also the fact that we had, we had very little money. And um, we shot this movie in 23 days in um, Savannah. (laughs) And that that meant it took everybody all sharing, being on the same page. And, you know, I had to bring everybody in and open my doors. And, you know, so we really made optimum use of our time. And this,
2: time. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did not have your usual cinematographer, Ed, Ed Lockman, no. and is your was your production designer new as well? Or Yeah, Sam was, uh, this was the first time I would be working
0: with Sam, and this this became our first project after that other one. And your costume designer? And costume designer as well.
2: Yeah, so all new collaborators. It was all hitters, new people. So you were all just trying to yeah. figure it out. Because when you work with somebody for a long time, and this was actually one of my later questions about Christine, I mean, you guys... I first met Todd and Christine, we were just talking back in the late 80s (laughs) in New York when they had a company called Apparatus Productions where they made experimental short movies. And you and Christine, your collaboration through the years, I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and just, I think, in general about these collaborations. You have an old, you know, your old, long-time collaborator. I'm sure you have a shorthand with. I'm sure you, you know... Like, you can think the same thoughts. Or, you know, you can complete each other's sentences. And then there's these new collaborators yeah. because when they're – you know, I have a DP that i worked with probably the last six projects, and it's nice because you could just – they know what you want. You know what I mean? They know how – they know what the shot should look like. They know they're in your head a little bit, and new collaborators aren't. So if you can talk about maybe those differences, that would be great.
0: Um, well, yeah, there's nothing that I can really compare to – that foundational good fortune of of um, what of of Christine's in my entire life working together. She, sh- we knew each other before I made my first feature film, Poison. Um, we were we were doing this nonprofit organization. That Did she work on
2: Superstar? She
0: didn't work on Superstar. Uh-huh. She watched a cut of Superstar. Uh-huh. And when I was cutting For people who my- don't
2: know Superstars, Todd's underground masterpiece, I don't know. It's one of the, th- I remember showing it in a film class that I taught at UC Santa Barbara back in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s. But um, yeah, it's, if you can find a bootleg copy of it somewhere, definitely check it out.
0: I had a roundtable conversation today with, at the Hollywood Porter roundtable with Greta Gerwig, and she was so sweet, and she said, you know, Superstar is the real Barbie movie.
2: Um, that should be on the box. And
0: that was just so
2: <laughs> lovely
0: of her to acknowledge it. It's a very different movie than what she did. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Christine saw...
2: Very different, but in a way, very similar. <laughs>
0: right? Uh, interesting. No, there's, there's stuff there. Yeah, there's some stuff there, for sure. Uh, Christine, we were just talking about it, the producers, uh, PJ... Um, Talk that we just had, and she was talking about seeing uh, the cut kind of superstar in my uh, Brooklyn apartment. I was on the flatbed cutting in my apartment, and she said it. She describes it as a sort of epiphany for her, where she was like, "This is the kind of movies I want to I want to make. You know, I want to keep making these kinds of movies." I mean, we were trying to do this with Apparatus, but we weren't doing our own films at Apparatus. We were we were there. It was a nonprofit organization for other filmmakers, which is how we met you. Um, but but we, and so she said, "I want to produce your next film," and that was uh, ended up being my my first feature film, Poison, and her feature first feature film producing, and she's produced every film I've made since, and um, and it's just one of the deep, mysterious, credible relationships that you know.
2: Uh, How do you work together exactly? Does she bring ever bring stuff to you, or do you just? Work on something, sort of craft it, and go, Christine. This is the next thing. You know how can how can we make this? How
0: is she? You know, since I as, and this goes back to the part of your very first question, which is since I did Carol. Carol was um, uh, 2015, and it was the first time that I sh- made a shot a film that I didn't write myself. That was a f- script that was circulating, and actually been circulating for, for almost 20 years in various forms of development. And a very, very dear friend of, of Christine's, but also mine, Elizabeth Carlson and Stephen Woolley, producing partners in the UK, had it. And Liz said, "Do you think Todd would ever be interested in doing, you know, something like this?" And they sent it to me, and, and I was just so. Uh, of course, you know, I read the Patricia Highsmith novel. It's based on *Price of Salt*, and read that beautiful Phyllis Nage adaptation. And um, it was an amazing experience. And and so since then, I've sort of cracked that door open a little bit. And so scripts come. Scripts are sent to me right when they hadn't been before. And and um, and I'm still develop, also developing my own original work. But but um, and that's where Christine feels a lot of stuff, and she gets a lot of stuff sent to her for me. She screens it, and she sort of sends me stuff that she thinks that I might like. But for the most part, it's pretty much stuff I know I want to do, and then we, you know, she just works until it happens. Like, you know, Safe was my second feature film, starring Julianne Moore the first time I worked with Julian, and that's an ongoing relationship, um, a lifetime relationship with Julie. But, uh, but that was a film that took two years for us to get finance, even after the, you know, Poison did relatively well for an independent film at that time, because the the way you you sort of monitored how films did, or how you remarked on how films did, it, it was successful in that in the new queer cinema era when we were starting our our work together and but it still took two years to get a million dollars together to make um uh safe and i and i i probably would have given up and just not you know had a career as a filmmaker if it wasn't for christine she was the one she she would say you know are you sure you you know i'm like christine it's never gonna happen you know it's just it's such a downer this movie And she was like, you tell me, if you want to do this movie, we're going to go back out and keep fighting it, keep fighting to get the money. And I would read it and go, yeah, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. (laughs) And she'd go back out and slay the dragons, and we finally... Fa- manage to get the money this together. This is
2: something, I, I'm sorry if I keep going off on tangents. <laughs> My boyfriend said when I do Q&A, said, I'm getting asked questions. I never really answer the questions. I just keep going off on all these crazy tangents, and I just get so inspired by everything you're saying. But it's like, speaking of that, wait, you were just talking about, about safe, right? <laughs> now I'm getting so confused. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, when I was, just recently did a Q&A with Rick Linkletter and we were talking about in those days in the nineties when we all were young whippersnappers just growing up, he said it's you know, you're we talking about the idea that it's diff it was different then than it is now because it was so much harder to be a filmmaker. Like just the the oh, yeah. means of production, sure. of making a, mil- a movie like Poison or like when I made The Living End in, in 16 millimeter. you know, I mean, just the, the drudgery of it was so intense and the, we were talking about the idea that to be an indie filmmaker in those days, you had to be a little bit crazy. Yeah. You had to be a little bit... Um, not narcissistic, but just really believe in yourself and just really be like kind of a zealot, you know what I mean? In a way that now that filmmaking is so easy with iPhones and everything else, you know, that um, you, it's, it's much simpler than it used to be. And, and that was just my two cents <laughs> on your idea, just how you had to be so driven to it make is, it.
0: But don't you also think that when you have too many choices, and too many ways of doing, you know, a lot of different ways of, of skinning the cat. But when you had less choices and you had to do it this way and you had to do it on film and you had to put the camera here and the, the camera wasn't going to digitally fly out the window and fly back in, you had to figure out where the camera was and why and whose point of view that camera was assuming and why. That those decisions are so elemental to what how you tell stories and why and how great movies really think about the physical body of the camera and the character and the storytelling. And it's rooted in something, you know, it feels rooted. It feels heavy and there's sweat and, you know, blood in all of those choices that, that, that you make. And I, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel so ultimately grateful that like I started when we started because, I'm so happy I cut on film, that I, that I cut film, you know, and that you could carry your f- image from one part of the room to the <laughs> other with your hands. You could carry, you could record sound on a dubber and carry the sound of birds from one part of the room <laughs> to the other and then put it into your film with your
2: hands. And then you, you know, go, was, where's that frame? <laughs> and then <laughs> like, you
0: spend I the whole day it. looking for the one frame. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I mean? It just, it just, it's how, it's, it's sort of like the way we all would, would navigate things without, without digital navigation. And you'd use maps and you'd use your memory and you'd use your eyes and you'd walk down streets and you'd go, oh, right. I turned left here because I remember that sign and I remember that place, that facade, and I remember the turn of the street.
2: And it, it makes you, it makes your mind. Alive. Well, I mean, that's that's a, my next question. I don't know. Did we answer the other questions? I feel like we're just bracing. I keep asking questions without getting the answer. Um, and we have three seconds left in <laughs> the conversation. Oh, here's the light going. We were almost done. <laughs> um, it's like that's one of the things I love about this movie and I love about all of your movies is that one of my. Pet peeves as directors are terrible audience members, I find, because we're so particular, and is it when I feel the camera's in the wrong place, when things feel random, like, I just don't like that feeling of like, oh, this is so real, this is so docu- it's like, not even like a movie, it's like real life, it's like, I don't want to see real life, I want to see a fucking cinema. And you make cinema, you make Todd Haynes movies that are so distinct, they're, you know, that you always feel your hand, your intention, you know your there's an, a deliberate point of view you know and I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit about your methodology and your style and how much of it is conscious, how much of it is just intuitive I know you work with storyboards too because I
0: not uh-huh. storyboards really I mean in, in these it's more image my image books are the are the sort of visual, Narratives I put together um, drawing from the references to other movies or photographers or painters or or the or the location stills i 've taken you know and that's that 's what the may December image book was, for instance was it, it drew from things i couldn't not think about right away when I read the script, like Persona by Bergman and <clears throat> this the idea of the twinning women in mirrors and the um those kinds of frames that would hold and 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 places in Bergman movies where direct address to the lens was established or made such an impression um and so the whole visual language of this movie evolves from all that you know that sorting through films and and references and grabbing one's own favorite images as you do it yourself and put it together in a linear form and then start to share that with everybody. And because there were all these new relationships involved, Ed Lockman, who has been shooting my film since Far From Heaven 2002, was going to shoot May, December, and then had an accident. He broke his femur bone on a movie. And we only found out about it like weeks before we were going into, well, days before we were Actually um, planning to leave for pre-production in in Savannah, I had to find somebody really fast. So, sharing the image book and and then sharing this crazy score that I heard in a Joseph Losey movie watching TCM one one day. (laughs) The movie is the Go Between. It's a it's a Joseph Losey movie. Oh my God! Right. For people who know, but, it, but the thing is, is that it's not that well known for Joseph Losey. It's not, it's somehow fallen out of circulation in the United States. It's very hard to see. And I hadn't seen it since I've, I, I was a kid. I saw, it, I think when it came out in 1971 and, and I, and I had not seen it in, in all these years. And I watched it on TCM and I was, I was completely gobsmacked. I was, blo- I was slapped across the face by that Michelle Legrand score which asserts itself like a like a, an alarm bell in the opening credits of The Go-Between. And The go Between* set in 1900, you know, England countryside coming of age story of a boy who visits his rich family and develops a crush on his beautiful older sister, Julie Christie. So it's even less, it seems even less related to the subject matter of the film, the score, than even in, in May, December, but it was like an example. I was like, okay, guys, this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> Images like, you know, frames like this, this use of the, the lens as the mirror and all of these mirror scenes that recur through the film, setting up that, that, that frame and letting having the actors look into the lens as themselves and looking off the lens at the, as the reflection of the other woman standing next to her. But, le- but I knew it needed that kind of strong framing element that would make you go, okay, just the way the script did, make you go, not everything is going to be on the surface here. It's going to be up to you watching it to be thinking and questioning and going, hmm, you know, laughing at times and then feeling uncomfortable that you're laughing and then laughing more and then going, wait a minute, I thought I trusted Elizabeth Barry to be my reliable narrator in this movie and then no not so much <laughs> um, but I, I, I just the way we achieved it in such a short amount of time and the way these new relationships got anchored was by just opening up the creative doors and, and letting every bringing everybody in and saying these are these are this is kind of what I'm thinking guys let's Let's all go for it. Let's all hold hands, figure out our, our relative parts in how to realize this and, and also rely on an incredible p- producing team, a line producer I'd never worked with before, Jonathan Montapar somebody know it. I mean I will never make another movie without Jonathan oh awesome he is and that's such a hard job you know this oh yeah absolutely. it is just the most thankless job it's such a my heart goes out to line producers but developing. and
2: ADs also because there's a lot of oh, line and ADs that.
0: no seriously and Tim Bird my AD on this movie he I had a long relationship with it was a combination of Jonathan, a new relationship. Tim, an old relationship. Christine, an old relationship. Julianne, an old relationship. Chris and, and Chris Blavell and Sam and April, all new relationships that forged this delicate, passionate, little brief moment that we all shared there.
2: And I think they were all... Um, you know. I- <laughs> they were all there for you. No, as I said, I mean, that's what makes the movie so great, I think, is its bold choices, you know what I mean? That is, a, that is a director kind of operating at the peak of your powers, and so everybody's walking the plank with you, you know what I mean? And you get that sense. I mean, I think that's what makes the movie so fantastic. Okay, we're already getting our five-minute warning, and I think I'm, like, so... Um, let's talk uh, briefly about... Um, the performances are obviously so fucking fantastic in this movie. Um, your methodology in terms of your actors and creating the, the safe space for them to work and how, how you manage, was there a lot of rehearsal or how did that work?
0: No, there was not any rehearsal. There was co- a lot of conversations shared between Julianne and Natalie and I in, in the lead up to actually being in Savannah together. Um, a lot of you know, planning the wigs and the color palette and the things that take the, the time that that you have to build in. Um, they're both such um, complex thinkers, such, um, but and they come so prepared. They're very similar in the way they work, Julianne and and Natalie. And I st- and you still don't know, like, how are they going to interact <laughs> together? You know, in reality, you know. And they just put each other at ease. You know, I think I I was able to make them feel like there was a solid ground upon which this was being built. And then they felt secure and supported. And and then with these very strict and sort of austere and minimal kinds of coverage and shots that hold, then it's all about what they do right in front of you, you know, in the... I mean, ast- just astonishing.
2: Yeah, I was. Re- I really kind of went back to the, the last shot of safe and how it's you know just close up with Julianne, and you get you get so much from her, her face and her performance. And it seemed that that was a very recurring motif in this movie. I, was that conscious or?
0: I I I I thought. I want to use the 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 mirror, the lens as the mirror, the camera as the mirror, and have the actors look right into it. And I and I thought I, that's I haven't seen that in in so many movies. Where, where of course there's all kinds of uses of direct address, but not as the the literally using the mirror, and that the actors would make you know that it was a mirror. You didn't have to establish that the mirror is on that wall, and then we're cutting from inside it. You know. Um. And then Brian, my my uh, partner for many years, he said, Well, you did that in the safe. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I mean guess. it's kind of one of the, the most very famous
2: shots of that movie is yeah. that last shot of Julianne and just that long held close-up. Yeah. But can you believe Charles Melton? Well, yeah, right. that was my other question. I mean, is I had i worked with Charles soup like for five minutes. Did? Yeah, in Riverdale I did an episode of it. I didn't know you did it in Riverdale. Yeah, episode. and I like oh met God. him and he's such a sweet kid and he's such a um but we barely I don't even think we had like maybe one scene or something. Yeah. And then, you know, of course he's such a revelation in this movie. If you oh. want to talk about him for a bit.
0: He, you know, I we we auditioned uh we did the normal route with my casting director, Laura Rosenthal, and and auditioned actress for Joe. And I got tapes and and she screened a bunch of them first. And I saw about ten of the her favorites. And Charles, I first saw a picture of Charles, I was like, Oh, I don't know. He's so he doesn't look like a real person. He's so insanely gorgeous. <laughs>
2: yeah, he looks like he's genetically like modified or something. You like literally his face is perfect. It's a little
0: it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I may I said Charles you got to put on 30 pounds. He put on 40 pounds. Um so he changed his body into a little bit more of a suburban kind of dad body or something. Man, what he did, what he did in his audition without any direction, without any communication from me, his instincts were so um, remarkable and so restrained and so, you know, it was like someone who was learning, it was like pre-verbal. He was encased in his body, you know? And all of a sudden, I saw in ways I, I, you know, there were other really fine actors who we were comparing him to, but I saw the present Joe and I saw the past Joe in him. You know, the whole story just sort of unfolded in, in his, in his incredible instincts. And they weren't, the thing about Charles is he's not just a diamond in the rough. He is a fine, conscious technical actor. There's comic timing in in that performance. There's of course, pathos and, and pain in that performance, and there's such a sense of understanding physicality. Now, I think all of that got developed when we worked together. But I remind him, you know, when he's like, oh, Todd, I could never have done that without you, that, that he, he taught me who Joe was in his audition, you know? And that's, what you, that's what's so remarkable about filmmaking yeah, is when you
2: and learn. The, and the, the alchemy of the three of them yeah. together is just oh. mind-blowing.
0: And then he's standing up there next to Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, and the third act of the movie really belongs to to Charles, you know, and what he did, and hmm. so the whole thing was just. Uh, we also just had the, the the time of our lives making this movie. We just had such a beautiful time together. It was really special. It was really rare, you know. It was very very cool
2: yeah, I mean it's all you know it's all there on the screen. They want me to wrap up and I have so many questions left. I'll try to make them I'll try to make them all into one question. Okay, queer new wave, I don't know, we're, we're both part of the queer New wave. Your queer perspective. And also, I had a question for you about being a um, like George Cukor, the overlap between being a gay filmmaker, a queer man. And being what's labeled as a woman's director, and how you felt about that. If you felt that was in some way uh, pigeonholing or limiting, and if you think that women's films are maybe not necessarily taken as seriously as you know men's films. And anyway, like I said, I have a lot of questions, and we're out of time. So answer away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the highest. Praise! It's the highest honor to be called a, a director of women and someone who has told stories about women that that connect to people and uh, and the stories that we might you know denigrate by calling women's films are the stories of domestic life and homes and families and raising and relationships and children. In other words, they're the stuff of real life. They're where we all come from. We just happen to denigrate women all the time <laughs> in our society. So anything that attaches that 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 characteristic or that signifier, we uh, look down on. And uh, but uh, come on, man, women are women rule. I learn everything from women. I always have. Men are just scrambling to catch up. <laughs> To what women already? Especially straight men. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. But no, man. I, I, you know, I have formative relationships with women, and I've always had them. From my mom to my sister to my grandmother to Julianne Moore to Christine Vachon to uh, to Kate Blanchett and Kate Winslet and all these, you know, you know, just Natalie Portman and you know the ma- women who we we owe everything to.
2: I guess that's it. Todd Haynes, everybody. Thank you so much, Todd.
1: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.